Welcome to Sticky Interviews. I'm Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. We are the provider of leadership development and soft skills training to the grocery and manufacturing industry. The idea of these interviews is to share great ideas, great concepts and great ways these skills are being used to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another sticky interview with me, Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of sticky learning. Idea with these interviews to help you be the best version of you. I felt like I rushed that, but that's because I'm really enthused, energized, and kind of really enjoying this kind of conversation that's been happening before this recording, what we've had before. Today, um, I have the privilege of speaking to Lorna Gammon, the head of L&D from Krispy Kreme Donuts, which in itself is prestigious enough uh, for such a large company that's been around for nearly 100 years now. Um, Lorna will correct me on that in just a minute. She has a phenomenal history with just over 15 years of L&D skills, hands-on practical skills, and is through this current um, situation transitioning from this environment to a new world, potentially HR consultancy, L&D consultancy, taking all those wonderful experiences that she's got from these incredible people in these incredible spaces and helping to package that and giving it to new people that need that support in a different way. So it's an exciting adventure that I've been having a conversation, an exciting adventure ahead of Lorna as she moves into this space. Um, <laughs> welcome to Sticky Interviews, Lorna. Thank you for being here. No worries. Thank you for having me. Um, look, I want to dive in because I want people to hear as much of what's going on in your head. And I love asking you questions because you, in the night, and I say this with absolute love and respect, you've got a lot to say on these things. And you bring it, but you bring in the enthusiasm and energy with it, which is infectious. And I want you to share that with people. Uh, for me, the first question is always, why do you do what you do? Yeah. So I think for me, I love people um, and enabling people to be the best version of themselves. Um, I love the selfish part of knowing that I've had even a teeny little part to play in that. Um, so that gives you the best feeling. And that might be a simple conversation um, that changes the way that somebody views something through to some long-term you know, leadership development programs and coaching sessions. Um, but I think for me, a win's a win, no matter how big. So I think it's, for me, it's, it's just enabling people to be the best version of themselves. And if I can have a bit of a part to play in that, I just get a really big feeling and a great buzz from that. I don't think that's selfish. I think it's wonderful. It's, it's, I talk about what we give to people and it's, it's the law of contribution. So it's about what you put in first of all. And with L&D and, and leadership development, all those elements, it is about what we put in first. We know that as leaders, the, the, the point it falls down is when it's take, 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 when it's all about me, me, me. Yeah. Uh, most people as they're moving into the L&D space or these service industries kind of in, in kind of personal development, it tends to be, okay, what can I give to this person? What can I give to them? And the idea is not to live through their successes. It is to enjoy their successes from the work and contribution that you've made to those individuals. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> I enjoy it. And it, so therefore it's not a major pain, is it, to do it? I think it's, it's lovely and I can probably still name people that I think, Joe, you know, I had a little bit of a hand in there, you know, where they are now. And um, I've also had some bits as a manager where I think, 
God, if I'd have carried on doing what I was doing, I'd have had a part to play in where they were now. Um, and, and thankfully, I've learned from those as we've gone along and learned in the moment um, in those. But I think it's, it's a lovely feeling to have when you can look at someone's career and go, you know what, at that moment in time, I helped them because certainly I've got names of people where I can look back and go, do you know what? Vicky Harris and Andy Croft, they, they were instrumental in helping me be who I am now. Um, and if I can be that name for somebody else, then it's great. I, one thing that I've said is, is words change worlds. Yeah. Because I still remember things that were said to me in my first job when I was 15. You know, for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. It, but it's something that's kind of been encoded into my, the fabric of my thinking and the way that I approach certain things. Um, and it's the same when you put those names out there, Vicky and Andy, I think it was you said, is yep. okay, actually what do they give to you? Okay, what is it I'm now saying to someone else? What am I, you know, potentially what are their words am I repeating to someone else and passing that down the lineage? Or Absolutely. what else am I including? And what, you know, what do I want that person to say in 20 years time? Because I know my outer voice is going to become their inner voice as the aspiring leader. What do I want to come out of their mouth in 20 years time that's going to help the next generation of leaders coming up you know, behind them? Absolutely. What do you think then the role of L&D is in development? Um, so it's a difficult one because you, you positioned it earlier on as, you know, we, we provide a service. But I think that um, I'd add, it, add into that that if we can become the strategic consultant within the business, um, then you can be an amazing service provider. I think the risk that you always have is if you're perceived as just an internal service provider, you get a department shopping list of training um, and you'll just go off and deliver that. Um, whereas for me, that role of L&D is to really challenge the business in terms of where they're going, where they want to be, and, and how L&D can help them get there as opposed to being the order taker. Um, I think there's a real opportunity to start to ask the why and, and delve into that to make sure that you're going after the things that really make a difference. Sometimes I might get random requests, you think, actually, if I went after A, we'd fix B. But if we go after B, we won't touch A. Um, so you have to challenge. So I think being a strategic consultant is what the role of L&D is. Whether that's an external consultant coming in or an in-house consultant, I think we need to play that part of, of questioning and challenging and, and really getting to root causes to understand what's driving the business and how we can really drive the development of our people to deliver against those business objectives. What happens then when you end up being that order taker as an L&D function? It's really unfulfilling okay. <laughs> to start with. Yeah. Um, I think it's because actually what you, you know, there'll be times where you have to pick your battles as well uh, within L&D and sometimes it's not a battle that's worth fighting at that point. But um, at the beginning, we said we want to see people being the best version of themselves. And if fundamentally you know that what you're doing as the order taker isn't enabling that, um, it's really unfulfilling. You want to add value. You want to see change. You want to see improvement. And actually, by just being the order taker, um, you may not get that sense of fulfillment. And then I guess that the outputs of that is that the business doesn't see the value that you're adding because it wouldn't have been what you would add if you had the choice. Yeah. Um, and then almost your role comes into question. So actually, why are you here? Because I come up with the idea, um, you come up with a bit of a plan, where to look it out? So, so what was the, what's the point? Um, and you know, I've had many conversations in my time where um, I'm like, a, really? Is that truly what you need? Let's talk about why. Let's talk about the burning platform. Let's talk about what you'd like to see 
at the other side of this? What are those measures of success? And when you get to all of that stuff, you can then go back to the beginning and go, is it really that? Or if we go after this, um, and I've had conversations where I've said, can you just put a bit of trust in me? And if it doesn't go right, I'll eat my hat. It's fine. And I don't mind going back on myself if I've gone it wrong and putting my hands up. But can you just give me the freedom to explore this um, and give it a go in, a, in an area and either prove it or disprove it? Um, and sometimes you have to pick those battles in that way of, of trying to convince somebody to allow you the, the space and the freedom. Um, but I think definitely the, the thumbs down for it side of it is that it's just unfulfilling because you can't see the value you're adding. And the words that jumped out to me was kind of that strategic consultant. Um, do you think people in organisations when they have the L&D function kind of there as a, a go-to mechanism, don't give it the credibility that it's actually due? I think that um, there'll be a mixed bag out there. There'll be people that absolutely um, intrinsically have L&D at the table and at the heart of everything they do. Um, and there'll be businesses that don't have an L&D function that really, really should do. And then there's the ones in between that are big enough that feel that they should have an L&D function, but don't really know how to engage with that and, and use it to its best ability. Um, and you know, they would save a whole load of money in that respect of just getting in external consultants when they need them as opposed to having an in-house team. Um, so I think there's an absolute spectrum of, of that. I think the real downside is when you've got a function where they feel like they need to have an L&D team because they're big enough, um, but they don't really know how to interact with it. How does someone interact with it? Um, getting them at the table. So I think that um, if, you're, if you are the strategic consultant, um, you're there at the beginning um, and not the afterthought. So I think that for me, um, being part, you know, I've sat in some meetings um, where you think, God, this has really got nothing to do with training right now. Um, but what it gave me was all of the insight I needed that when training were brought in, I got it. I understood it. I knew where the business was going. So I could then already have my thoughts and ideas and feelings and and start to drip feed that through. And it also enabled me to shape some of the conversations as we were going through that before it really become a, a training need, um, is that you're part of those projects that you can shape and steer and, and help bring it to life, but do it together. I think the biggest part for me around L&D is the collaboration piece. Um, you're not a silo department, you can't be. You are in everyone's department. Um, you're everyone's little sister in that respect and you need to be everywhere. Um, you can't just be at home behind a laptop creating a course that somebody's asked you to do. And I, I've challenged back probably from one of the previous conversations we've had where you talk about everyone's little sister. In truth, I think the, the nicest possible way is everyone's big sister or big brother because it's, especially in current circumstances when we're talking about COVID-19 and, and kind of this moment in, in, in human existence, the first thing that gets switched off is training. The first thing that gets, you know, um, kind of um, shut down is the L&D function. Yeah. But the, to be honest, the thing that needs to be ramped up is the L&D function and the training, but before the event actually happens. So that when we walk into this, okay, it might be unprecedented in, in kind of um, floating speech marks. But it's that fact that actually these leaders, these people that, that have the skills and and tools available in order to go and do what they need to do regardless of what the situation is. 
Yeah. But as you're saying, that previously now is they're not seen as that strategic consultant. They're seen as kind of the generalist, the the fix all. Um, we'll tell them what we want because we're telling them what to want. You know, there seems to be a mismatch in the communication and that dialogue. So they kind of like for me, I think there's that. Um, that people look at it from the wrong angle and I think for me personally it's that generalist approach it's you know that one size fits all you know there's Bob the general trainer and he's one day he's going to teach you how to fix a, a milkshake machine or use an ice cream machine and then tomorrow he's going to deliver leadership content but yeah. we lose the passion and the expertise and the experience of actually what Bob's really good at and where his own genius it might be the ice cream machine and that's his thing Bob go and do that and then getting the experts in, the specialists that then do those those niche elements to the highest possible level to get the highest possible results. Yeah. One question that came up for me though, as I was thinking, as you were talking, was uh, around being part of the conversation. Where do you think L and D often falls down or lets themselves down in certain organisations? I think that um, I've had a few conversations recently where we've talked about actually we don't do any PR of ourselves. Um, so actually, um, we complain that people don't recognise for the work we do and, and how hard we're working in the background and all of that stuff. But actually, how active are we um, at, at marketing ourselves? I look at marketing functions um, and you think they are constantly talking to the customer and then they are sharing back what stories they've had um, with their customers and they're telling the business about what they're doing, and, you know, how many hits they've had on a particular website or you know, a click-through rate from an email. Um, yeah, L&D don't do enough of that. I don't, I've never experienced it in any um, L&D function where we've done our own PR. Um, and I think if you can get the PR right, um, you might only have one success story at that point, but that's the bit that people start to read. That becomes two success stories and it becomes five and 10. And already you're, you're starting to think, hang on a minute, why is L&D not at the table? Um, and people are questioning that. And, and I think you need to do your PR um, to be able to unlock those doors. Because some people don't get it. Um, they kind of, particularly as the double the skill of, of learning and development as opposed to training. Um, and I think you know, quite often I end up saying, they give my job title and they go, what's that? And you go, training. Um, ultimately, we, we do a lot of training. Um, and, and I think that there's an education piece of that. What's the difference between training and learning and development? Um, and how can learning and development truly help the business and, and why should they be at the table early on because actually we don't have that initial commercial piece that they're working through um, but in reality certainly through some of the projects that I've sat on um, in the past few years is having a seat at that table early on makes me better informed which means I'm better placed to be able to think about what those training intervention, interventions might be or what I need and who I need around me to be able to shape that going forward. Whereas when you're late to the table, you're on the back foot already. So I think definitely a PR, um, we don't do enough of it. And I think we're, um, as a HR function, um, we're very humble. Um, you know, people expect to be paid, people expect to be hired and their contracts, you know, done correctly and on time. Um, but we don't tell people in a year how many contracts we've generated, you know, how many times we've won payroll. Um, to help people realise that there is a volume of training out there alongside all of the succession meetings that you've had and the talent pipeline conversations. Um, they just expect those things to happen, but we need to talk about it, to advertise it um, and, and bang our own drum because nobody else will bang it for us because we leave other departments to do theirs, so we need to do our own. 
for me, the one prime example is when you're looking at the payroll being run, people don't say thanks for paying my salary. No. They'll only come and see you when there's a problem with it. <laughs> and we talked, I talked earlier on to a, a, a contact of mine who we was saying actually, so um, Krispy Kreme um, delivered an entire brand new HRIS system. Um, and on payday, the HR team celebrated because pay worked and we paid everyone. Nobody else really cared about the system. They just wanted to check that they'd been paid. Um, and, and you're right, there is no thanks for that because it's expected. It's a basic thing that people expect to happen. Um, but I know in the background that there was a huge amount of work to get that project off the ground and to get it live and to make it pay people. Um, but it's just an ex it's, it's expected of us. Yeah. So it, there's no exciting deliverables there. No, it, you are the backbone of the business, but almost like our own backbone, we don't notice until it starts to deteriorate and we get backache, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that popped up into my head was thinking about that, you know, whether or not we bang our own drum. And actually, it is a marketing point of view. So even as the uh, a consultant potentially listening to this or someone in L&D moving or developing in that space or moving out of it or as a coach, um, we don't very often bang that drum, which is no. why you know, as part of MBM, we do the evaluation process. We talk to people and you, know, you get your evaluation forms. It's the same as your feedback forms off your back of your trainings and stuff. That becomes part of that marketing content. This is yeah. how I helped this person inside this business get this result. Okay, and then people go, oh, that's interesting. So-and-so had that. Okay, let's have a conversation with Lorna about getting her in to do this, and so on and so forth. But I think too many people in businesses say, oh, yeah, it's just my job. Well, actually, mm. how much is your job worth? What impact have you had on the business? How much have you saved the business, created for the business? How much are you actually worth to the business? And then go and talk about that stuff because it's, it's reasonable to share the wins and successes of, of how you've onboarded people and help them to navigate, improve them and get them developed into the places they need to be. But we don't yeah. share it. But or very few of us share it. We see it as it's just our job. Yeah. yeah. I think we just see it as our job and it's, it's, and it's nothing to shout about because actually onboarding people or you know recruiting people is just what we do. That's what we've been hired to do. So why would we and celebrate about you know, those those things but i think those are the pieces that will then start to highlight to the business that we don't just hire and fire people in hr which is often a perception you hire and fire and do a bit of training um and, and there's so much more to it than that and actually we'll complain that nobody knows about it but actually that's in our own power because we're just not talking about that so how can we blame somebody for not knowing about all of the talent conversations we have or the work that's going into new systems if we don't tell them? Um, so definitely banging the drama is, is something that we need to get more confident at and not just look at it as our job, but it is something that um, we can inform and educate and share the news with other people. The, the word social media strategy came to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, so having... Definitely. You know, almost like a, um, a Monday to Friday schedule on Monday I'll put this sort of post up on Tuesday I put this sort of post up on Wednesday I'll do my um, humble brag or whatever you want to call it here I do a client testimonial so for L&D to have that own marketing strategy for themselves so that the business does actually go oh this is so and so this oh, okay they're on the floor oh they're talking about this oh they're sharing the successes and going out there and getting the people in the training rooms in those spaces also to share that message back out into the organization as well so people want mm -hmm. to come into that space and, and experience what you do so well 
Yeah. Interesting. Get me thinking in a different way. Nice. Um, next question for me then is what is an L&D strategy? Um, so for me, and, and we spoke about this before, so, and I've been pondering it um, over the last couple of days as, as we got closer to this interview. Um, and I think the main responsibilities for us is managing with people. Um, and we do that aligned to the business priorities. But the key part of our goal is about nurturing, maximizing and retaining that talent. We want to be able to keep talent. There's no point in just turning people through the, the, through the business. Um, it's, it's about identifying those people, nurturing and maximizing on that and keeping them. And I think for me, the big part around strategy is around always starting from the outside and looking at what's going on out there. Um, because you want to see what your competition is doing, what other L&D people are doing and, and so on. Um, thing around keeping the support for the core business. So actually the BAU stuff needs to carry on. So, you know, we talked about milkshake machine. We always need to maintain the milkshake machine. So the BAU is making sure that there is training for maintenance of milkshake machine. Um, but the future is X, Y, and Z. And actually, so we need to have an eye on the core, the part of the business, um, and an eye on the future part of the business to make sure that we're thinking about both parts. The other part is around having that real value proposition for the customer so that we add value in everything that we do. So almost there's that point where somebody's knocking on my door saying, I want to come to that. I want to be part of that. I want to be on that webinar. I want to be in that classroom. Um, instead of us going, please come along, <laughs> is that you create that demand because you've created the value um, proposition so they can see what they're getting from it. Um, and they come and kick your down for it. I think there's a piece around fine-tuning it and making it relevant to the audience. Um, so you can have one L&D strategy, but then communicating it in a way that is right for your audience um, so that they really start to click in and tune into that and listen up. I think the biggest part around landing that strategy is your stakeholder group um, and getting that buy-in and having them completely on board and aligned with what it is that you're going after because ultimately, um, if, if you don't have that, you can do all of the other stuff, um, but you won't land it because your stakeholders aren't bought into what it is that you're going to deliver for them. That was going to be kind of my next question. We'd already started asking, answering it previously was, you know, where does yeah. L&D strategy fall down? In some sense, yes, it's because you're not banging your drum loud enough and in the right possible way. You know, A, the right drum and B, at the right volume. And, and also getting those key stakeholders involved. What else causes the, the L&D strategy to fall down? So I think businesses that don't see their employees as their biggest asset, you know, they are, for most businesses, their biggest expenditure, yet um, we put them sometimes at the bottom of the list. Um, and I think for me, if you can switch that and say, Jill, if we've got the right people doing the right things at the right time, the money will follow. Um, whereas quite often the business goes after your KPIs of sales figures and numbers and numbers and numbers. Whereas actually the forgotten numbers around the fact that we've got, we're hemorrhaging people, but we don't worry, we don't bang our drum. We don't talk about what that costs to lose those people and recruit another one. Um, is that they don't see that as the impact. Whereas if we can focus on people, make sure that they've got an amazing management team that support them towards their goals and ambitions, an amazing onboarding process so that when they join a business, they feel loved and wanted um, and needed from the minute they walk through the door or even before as they start that process. Um, but really putting your arms around them. So I think the point at which a business can truly say, the people in our business are the most important thing within our business. And actually having the right people 
trained to the best of their ability and in the right positions will give us all of the sales figures that we want and all of the you know the stats that we need um but people are at the heart of that and being really really true to that there are probably lots of businesses out there that will say oh people are at heart of everything we do but their actions say different um and they need to be one sentence um from both parts is that it's the people at the heart of we do of everything we do and these are the things we do that might mean that the people at the heart of it um i think that flicking that switch to they are your biggest asset they cost you a lot of money um look after them and they'll, they'll earn the money for you and for me a couple of things popped in is what the, the the main thing that popped in is people that are chasing numbers because you know if you 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 chase the vision the numbers will follow if you chase the numbers the vision gets fuzzy yeah. in that though is you know numbers are infinite so if you want to chase numbers if you want to chase bottom line you so it's, it's a losing game because you can never attain enough it's, it's a constantly growing thing yeah but what i've come to understand through my own leadership you know is behind every number is a behavior Behind every metric yeah. is a trait or a skill or um, a, a, um, a focus of energy into that situation. So your sales results or your KPIs or whatever, there will always be a behavior that links to that number. And when you address that behavior, whether it's at the company at the large scale or whether it's with the individual at the micro scale, you can shift the number that comes out the end of it. It's not an immediate thing. It's not an overnight thing. It takes feedback it takes coaching it takes consistency to, to shift that behavioral change but as a result of that you will get the numbers and that number will keep consistently returning back to you in, in incremental increases when you put that focus on your people and make people yeah. first absolutely what do you think then what does lmd need to do to overcome this um, so before I got married, my surname was Woodburn, and I always joked and said you have to be a woodpecker. Um, and I still live with that, but I've just got a different surname. Is, is you just have to keep chipping away um, and be relentless at selling the story, share the value proposition, link it back to the overall business goals, um, and, and just keep going at it um, and just be relentless. And sometimes it's really tiring, um, but if you know what you're going into in a role, so you know actually I've spoken to various different people over many years and you know some companies people aren't at the heart of what we do right now but we know we need to move to that space so you know what you're walking into um, and it is purely just pushing down that wall and keep banging on about it um, and keep sharing the stories and finding the little wins um, and celebrating those wins um, where you've got them you know I've I've had an experience in my time where um, I got introduced to a, a senior member of the of a business and their response was, oh, you're here to do the training, are you? Good luck. And they just walked off. Um, I won't share the name. I do still remember the name. Um, but it was one experience I thought, oh, you're the person to change. <laughs> Everybody else is kind of like, hi, welcome. Come on in. Um, whereas this one person, I thought, you're, you're the one that I need to... Just go and be relentless, tell the story, tell you how I can help you and how I can make a difference to your team and your business and ultimately, therefore, your bonus um, and link it back to what it is they're trying to achieve. But you do just have to be a bit of a tough cookie sometimes and just go at it and keep going and going and going. 
the bit that jumps out from that is, you know, is highlighting the person you need to win over. And whatever yeah. level they are is, is working out, okay, well, actually, it ultimately affects their bonus. What things am I contributing to? What levers am I pulling that are going to help make that to happen for them? What's in it for them rather than what's in it for me? Yeah. And the other piece that jumps out is that people in businesses, in teams, etc., will only do what their leader does. So if their leader isn't engaged in the L&D function, if their leader isn't engaged in their own personal development and their own skills upgrades, the people in their teams won't do it either, unless those people in the teams want to upgrade so they can move on and do something else. We have to be that role. We have to be that example and that invitation for those people to do it. Yeah, and I think you have to tweak your language. So I remember a scenario where I was talking to a particular person who was a very numbers-focused person because actually their world was around numbers. Um, and if I talked to them about how it made me feel, it kind of didn't really resonate with them. They're like, oh, that's a shame. Um, whatever, move on. Um, so I went back with, with my towel between my legs. I worked out some numbers and I walked back up 20 minutes later and I said, I just want to share this with you. This is what it's cost you. And they're like, oh. And, and it, it's that piece around actually the only way you can pursue it and change people's minds is actually sometimes being the one that fully adapts and you know I knew in certain businesses who I needed to talk to in certain ways and what sorts of words were going to prick people's ears um and, and either cause a bit of controversy which meant they thought oh hang on I need to listen to this um or it was just a bit they thought oh god that, that's an impact on me and finding the right language to convert those people um and that takes time you can't walk into a business and think right okay I've got the lay of everyone um, I walked into this particular business and it was on day two that this person told me good luck and walked off. Um, but everybody else I'd met um, didn't have that. They might have been thinking it, I don't know. But this person outwardly shared that they weren't sold by this whole training malarkey. Um, so she became my first person to go after and spend time with and get to know and to talk to, understand what drives them. Because then I can start to tweak how I speak um, so that they start to think, oh, hang on a minute music to my ears <laughs> um and it is a little bit of playing the game isn't it it's you know you're you're playing the game to get them to listen to you and then you can start to tweak back um where you need to but actually what i want is their buy-in um and if i can pick the certain parts of the project words that are going to float their boat then why would i not use them to get them on the boat um otherwise it's kind of like see you later <laughs> and you're on your own <laughs> absolutely and they're going to go sailing on off into the distance without you and you know never the twain shall meet as it were yeah, yeah. but the other part that is that it's walking the talk for me to stand in you know in a training room and deliver uh, leadership influencing or communication skills as as we do it as, as a lot of lnd people have kind of experienced or learned you know we're not just standing at the front of the room teaching it we need to be living it we need to be yeah. the example in that, and we need to be role modeling the behaviors. Okay, how do we actually get other people to buy into our communication? And then that stuff that you do on a daily basis then becomes the fuel for the content you're actually delivering in the classroom. Like, well, actually, when yeah. I joined this company, this person I met on day two, I'm not going to say any names, did this, this, and this, and this, this, and this is what I did with my language. These are the, these are the skills that I used. And now this person and I, you know, we're going out on a Friday night and da 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 da, da whatever it might be. Yeah. It just, it's kind of the proof in the pudding of what you do and why you do what you do. It's that credibility piece, isn't it? And whenever I run a workshop, I'd always talk about 
why I why am I, why am I here? Why am I still at the front of the room? Why am I the one talking? Um, and if I'm there introducing somebody else because they're talking, I talk about why they're there and why I'm not there, you know, because then that, that adds that credibility as you build that credibility by going, this is my experience and this is why I'm the best person in this business to talk to you. Or actually, this is the best person. They're not from our business, but they are absolutely the best person to talk to about this stuff. Um, but that credibility piece is massive. And I think if you can align what you're talking about when you're sharing those things back to the common languages you use in the business, whether that be the behaviours, values, competencies, whatever they are. Um, but using that to link it so they can go, oh, okay, so actually you do get our business, you understand it, um, and you're applying your experiences to those values and behaviours um, and living and breathing them. So, you know, if it is a challenge the status quo line that you've got in one of your values, is actually, this is how I challenged it. You know, I had a person in this business, I walked in and they were like, good luck, and walked off. And I made it my mission to challenge that and to try and convert them into a different way of thinking. Um, and then hopefully you can go, and I succeeded. <laughs> um, but being able to do that with credibility is really, really important. And demonstrate the tools you used with that individual to make it happen. Yeah. The one thing, and this, this is one of the, the lines that I heard from a previous leader that really made me furious. Was, I was talking about leadership development when I was working for an organization. Uh, before and I was doing the leadership development in as part of my role not not solely um, and then moving into more what I'm doing now and that person said people that can't do train and literally <laughs> I could just feel the blood boiling yeah the hell like literally I was going into fight mode it looked like you know that wouldn't have even I would have I would have pulled my own ears off let's put it that way um but what they were saying you know, is is there is a I think there is a collection or a selection of leader of trainers out there, leadership trainers that haven't actually gone out and got the experience. They haven't necessarily cut their teeth in the real time to actually go and do yeah. that. And you talk about that credibility piece um, is you have to go out and do those things and it has to be experiential. And when you're delivering that content, people have to feel the authenticity. It has to be kind of a, a visceral response because people are, oh, you, you had that conversation with that person. Yeah, yeah. And this is how it looked, and this is what I said, and this is you know this is where I made my mistakes. This is where I had my successes. This is what our relationship. And everyone's like, <gasps> but it's genuine yeah. because it yeah. comes from the real. And like you say, that credibility piece. I think there was also a um, a pot of trainers out there that haven't had that that are delivering content they've got from the textbook. It just it lacks that substance. Whereas then you get those leaders that just don't buy into it because they've been in the classroom with people like that or with a generalist. Um, yeah. And it just, I think it devalues some of the great content that, uh, that we deliver as L&D professionals, you know? Absolutely. Something you were leading on to, it segues, what an awful, I'm, I'm, I hate the segue phrase, but I'm going to use it right now anyway. You know, it segues <laughs> beautifully. Is What is it you do then that um, makes behavioural change stick? So um, I will always start with the why, why we want to change behaviour, what's the benefit to us as employees? Because um, I think if you can start with the why, you can be really, really clear about what behaviour it is you want to change to try and make it stick. Celebrate the changes, no matter how small they might be or how insignificant they might feel, is celebrate all of that. And then going back to what you just said, um, leading from the front, behaviour breeds behaviour. So actually, if your senior team aren't leaving those behaviours, why should anybody else? And I think that's the biggest part for me in terms of that, that behaviour change is that 
um, you could have somebody saying, you know what, I send emails at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not expecting a response from you. So it's just, that's when I work at my best. So I'm emailing you as the, you know, one of the board at 11 o'clock at night, but I don't expect a response from you. Then at half seven the next morning, they're chasing you for the response. And you think, well, you clearly were expecting a response from me. So I, I, th am I, I think I'm meant to be working at 11 o'clock at night now, but you're saying don't, but the behavior says do. Um, and I think there's the piece around actually, if you want change in your business and you want that behavior to, to stay, it needs to start at the top and from the bottom down. So I think that there's a bit of a squeezing approach that you can take because actually, if you define that behavior change, then you should start to recruit against those behaviors that you want to see. And that can be at all levels. So you'll have junior people coming into the business displaying these behaviors that the senior people are, are displaying as well. But I just think you need to walk the walk. If you want change, you need to live and breathe it. And actually, if you don't, you've got to question, why am I here? Because it's obviously not linking to your personal values as to why, why you're not working towards those behaviors. You've got to question that and come to terms with it. So it might be, you go, do you know what, actually where this is going, not where I want to be, or you know what, it is where I want to be. And I just need to find my way to adapt and change against that. So I guess with behavioral change, there's also the piece around, you can't expect it overnight. You know, so you, people write these new sets of values and behaviors, and they can probably put them on the internet. So, you know, everyone's read them. So tomorrow, everyone will be nice to each other. <laughs> um, whereas the reality is actually, it takes time for people to understand it, change and move on and understand that ways of working. Um, so it is a bit of being patient, but I think if you can start with the why and communicate why you are now launching a new set of values or behaviors, um, why you've changed from the old ones, because you probably already had some. So what's really changed? Um, you might also question then as you start to that, you go, that really nothing has changed. We've just changed the wording of some of it. It's not really a change. It's all still the same, but we've just rebranded. Um, but I think going back and really changing the why so that you can communicate that in a really compelling way that people almost go, why would I not be on that train with them? Why would I not? Um, but I think a lot of the time what you find is that certainly where I've worked in a few operations where you've got head office and then an operational function, is the head office come up with the ideas and then do it to operations and operations is your biggest workforce um and the perception is that you know hr have these ideas and then they do it to operations they launch something out and actually if you can work together and get your champions um if you've got a new set of behaviors get people from around the business involved in those conversations they'll become your champions and they will help make behavioral change stick you can't do it as a one-person band Oh, nice. And the, the whole why and purpose and values. Have you heard of James Kerr, by the way? Yes. I hadn't until recently. I've just had the pleasure of interviewing him also this week as well. It's, I think it's on YouTube now. Have a look at it. The way that man talks about values and how to define values. And his thing is talking about getting words off walls and onto floors. And, and having yeah. conversations with people about what those values mean to them. Now, the values of 1920, the word might be the same, but in 2020, the actions that are being delivered are completely different. So what's relevant to the, the now is hugely important and getting people included in that so that that change does stick. Amazing, because that it dovetails yeah. in that, did that beautifully. What are your top three values? Um, oh, that's a good question. I can only have three. I think trust. 
I think trust is massively up there. Um, honesty. I am more than happy for people to challenge my thinking and be honest with me. Um, if they're bought in or not bought in, I don't mind. I'm not precious either way. Um, what I want is a great outcome. Um, and you've got to have trust to be able to go into those conversations and honesty to, to just have that debate. Um, but I also think there's a bit around having the, the freedom to explore. And I think so often you kind of think, well, we need a feedback course. So I'm sure you've got one of those from your previous life. You know that you can dig out and, and run for us. You think, yeah, I probably have. I've got, you know, different versions of it. Um, but actually what I want is the freedom to explore the business and think about what's going to be best for that group of people. Um, so I, I think that those would be my three. I had to pick them quickly off the top of my head. <laughs> Honesty, trust and freedom. Yes. That's a pretty um, decent kind of code to be living by, I think. <laughs> So what's next on your agenda then, career trajectory? Where are you off to? Oh, who knows? I don't really know where COVID-19 is going to take me. Um, what I do know is I'll be leaving uh, Krispy Kreme um, at the end of July. will be my official um, end of my Krispy Kreme time. Um, and I don't know. So what I've said for many years is I'd love to have my own HR consultancy. Um, so, but there's lots of things that I need to do between now and then to give me that credibility um, to be able to have my HR consultancy. Um, so I'm doing my CIPD level five in HR management. Um, I'm doing a coaching qualification. Um, I'm doing a few other bits just to develop me and actually just see where it takes me. What I, I'm in a place where I'm think I'm not going to rush into the next thing and I, um, I read something recently where it says actually this is the time when you're in a redundancy situation to, to be kind to yourself um, and not give yourself such a hard time um, of I need to go and find another job, I need to go and find another job. Well, um, the, the luxury of COVID-19 is it's definitely given people time, um, sometimes too much time, um, but it's given me the time and the space and the freedom. Um, and I guess what I'm now having is those honest conversations with my inner self to go what is really, really important to me um, so I'm doing some lists at the moment of the things I don't want and the things that I do want personally and professionally. Um, I read a, an article from one of my old bosses, a lady called Gail Tong, um, and she's got a coaching company and she just put this out there on LinkedIn. I thought, actually, no, I need to do that because I need to start really working out what I do want and to work out what I do want, I need to be really, really clear on what I don't want. But she says, start with the negative mindset and think about the don'ts. And that will help you drive out what you really do want. Because um, it's normally quite easy for us to create the don't list. Um, but it's quite easy for us, to, not so easy for us to do the do list. Um, so start with the don'ts. So that's my, my job later today is to start thinking about that and what's important. And who knows, it might be a fixed term contract for a period of time just to keep me out and about and in it. Um, but long term um, is to have my own HR consultancy, where ideally I want to support um, smaller businesses. Um, so I've seen just from supporting my little brother, um, who's taller than me, so not quite so little, but I've been supporting him with a few bits um, over the years. Um, and, and I've really enjoyed seeing what I can do to help smaller businesses that don't have an in-house HR 
stroke training, stroke L&D function. I kind of think, right, there's, there's my opportunity. That's what I enjoy. Um, how do I get the credibility to be able to make that happen? I said the words earlier and I said it before. Actually, it's not about being little sister, is it? It's about being big sister, especially in that environment yeah. when you're working with your brother and supporting him as his business grows and becomes more successful. You get to challenge the, you know, the more than 15 years of experience in kind of the HR leadership realm into what he's doing to support his business going from strength to strength. Uh, and that's massively vital. One question that came up though, as you were saying that is, so you're doing the coaching qualification, you're doing the kind of the CIPD bit as well. So are you needing case studies? Are you needing people or clients to come and find you so that you can do some of this work with them to build up these qualifications? Definitely, so I think there's a scope now for me, particularly as I've got time on my side, um, to support some of those smaller businesses, um, to do some of that work. And I can do it for free because I've got the time on my side and I need to work for my case studies and to, just to build my sort of confidence, I guess, because there's a lot of stuff. I just, I know what I'm doing and I, I do it. Um, but it's building that confidence to go, actually, no, I do know this stuff. I can do it. Um, certainly there are a few instances with my brother where I thought, oh, I can actually be helping you with this, but he needs my help. And I was sat in a room and I thought, I don't know. Um, but it was okay. And I, you know, we, we got through it. Um, and we did a lot of conversations afterwards over a drink. Um, but definitely, yeah, the bit around having the case studies to, to build upon for the qualifications is definitely high up there. So if there's bits where I can support businesses with, with policies, procedures, um, whatever is going on, is giving them some of that advice, um, I'd welcome those opportunities. Amazing. Because, and that's the reason I asked that question in this, because if people are watching this, there's an opportunity to have that conversation with you. And as regards to that confidence piece, you know, this is as a coach to, you know, in the L&D is that confidence only comes not from doing the exercise, but the perceived lack of confidence is, this is what I do in this box over here. And when I'm over there, that's okay. When I'm in this box over here, it's completely different. But the truth is it isn't. It just feels different because it's a different yeah. box. Yeah. So anyone that has just listened to the last two minutes of what Lorna says, absolutely take advantage of this have a conversation with her you know go and ask the questions get the support you need from someone that has got the experience and is also then um, ratifying this and um, galvanizing it with these qualifications because you know Lorna's there to support and she's doing some phenomenal work and is going to do some even more phenomenal support so if you need a big sister in HR you need a big sister in L&D function her contact details will be in the show notes below this and probably in the, um, the, the video stream will come up in a minute as well. Where can people find you, Lorna? LinkedIn um, is always the easiest place because I've not got a very common first name or surname, so it's, it's normally an easy one to find. Um, but I'll, you've got my details as well. So you've got my email address so they can always contact me an email and give me a shout. Um, if we need to have a conversation and if we want to do a Zoom like we're doing now, um, they're great just to have a, a conversation and chew the fat. Amazing, amazing. Lorna, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for your contribution and thank you for being here. It's really appreciated. No worries. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. My great. first one. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you on the next interview for Sticky Interviews. Thanks very much. Speak soon. No worries. Thanks, Nathan. Firstly, massive thank you from the MBM team for tuning in to this sticky interview. If you haven't already done so, now is the time to click subscribe and stay up to date with our new training videos and great interviews. And secondly, if you want to learn more about the skills we've been talking about in this episode, click the link and take a look at the MBM virtual classrooms. 
They're there to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Until next time, see you soon.